This week on the podcast, no one ever told us there'd be days like these. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crap all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone once again to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. My name is Brian, and this week my friends Chris and Eric are joining me for a conversation about mid-90s cyberpunk noir futuristic movie from Catherine Bigelow, Strange Days. Strange Days starred Ray Fiennes and Angela Bassett and Juliette Lewis in a story about the near future of 2000 and what the end of the millennium was going to mean and how everything had been done and how nihilism and just we'll talk about it we'll get into it check the show notes for timestamps if you want to skip around because we've got some good uh, fresh shit this week as, as well and as always if you uh if you like the show subscribe to the podcast share it on your social media feeds with your friends and then if you want to contact us check out our website maghuge.com m-a-g-h-u-g-e.com there you'll find all of our previous episodes as well as links to our Twitter and our Instagram and our Facebook and how to email us, magnificentlyhugegmail.com. All right, strap in for the end of the millennium, folks. Let's do this thing. That's a bingo. That is how you say it? <laughs> the bingo? What? We just yeah. say bingo. Oh, fun. I'm sorry. I, I love Christoph Waltz in Inglorious Bastards. I think that movie is too long. It's overwritten. Oh. He yeah, okay. is so Brian and I are over here like, what the hell are you talking weird about? Weird in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey everybody, like, welcome to the show. Hey. Uh, I'm Brian. I'm Chris. I'm Eric. Hey, welcome to the show, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Brian and I are over yes, here like, what the welcome. fuck is Eric talking about? Christoph Paltz, what? Okay. Yes. Now that you say and that, now okay. we will do the rest of this show in Italian. Uh, yeah, no, Christoph Waltz, no. uh, <clears throat> crazy fucking genius. He's yeah. We went from Ralph Fiennes was in Schindler's List, which got him Strange Days, to Christoph Waltz and Inglorious Bastards, or I don't, I is that the connect? Whatever. Yeah, anyway, I saw actually a uh, like one of these GQ has this web series on YouTube where they get two famous actors who aren't otherwise connected to just interview each other. And they have Ray Fiennes and uh, Christoph Waltz. And it's so funny because Ray Fiennes is very deferential and very trying to play along. And Christoph Waltz is just a cunt about it. I'm not sure what happened right before they shot this, but you could kind of see that Christoph Waltz is like, well, I could see that you're not the serious person, you know? Uh, and Ray Fiennes was like, I don't know, smoking an apple bong or something. He did something to piss him off. It's it's funny. I'll put a link in the show. <laughs> Please do. Speaking to show Looking notes, check him if you want to hear our talk about Strange Days starring then Ralph Fiennes. Ralph Fiennes. Reasons. Come on, man. Ralph Fiennes. In the credits, it's R-A-L-P-H, man. But anyway. Yeah. Um, that Check the show notes for the timestamps, and, and we're going to talk about a bunch of other stuff. With a theme First. song by Sadie. <laughs> Strange days indeed. Who's got fresh shit? This shit is fresh. So okay, I started this with uh, uh, Christoph Waltz because uh-huh. I watched The Consultant on Amazon. Aha! Good for you. The whole thing. Don't like in, in one day. Don't. I'm I'm tired of this. I I'm I've yeah. been really angry lately. I think because I have had COVID and have therefore not been taking any of my uh, uh, you know head medicine. But uh-huh. um, which is okay. It's another show that is basically a mystery puzzle. What's going on? What's the mystery behind this thing? We need to Scooby Doo this shit for like an entire season. And in the end, it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't deliver anything. All it does is suggest there'll be a second series. You have a video game company in Los Angeles. The 
founder, president, owner is murdered in the first scene by a, a, a rando kid. And then Christoph Waltz shows up. He is a consultant who was hired by said dead president to improve the company. He, in essence, takes over the company and starts telling everybody, you know, how they're going to proceed. Starts coming up with weird rules like no, nobody can wear shoes or I want that guy fired because he smells weird and is very authoritarian in his approach to running this company, which makes our lead characters go, hmm, there's something fishy about this feller right. and hijinks ensue. That is Christoph Waltz. I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, hijinks. I'm like the whole time you're going, well, let's see, is he the devil? Is he a Russian mobster who takes over companies? Is he, they like lay out a lot of possibles, all of which are serviceably approachable. But they don't take a stand on any of them. They don't actually commit to anything. Mm. So that in the last episode, you're going, what have I been watching? And you realize you don't even like it enough to find out in season two. Or at least that was my thing. Like Lost, you watch that first season, you go, I don't know what that was, but I am all the way in. That was amazing. This is not that. It's Christoph Mm. Waltz giving a great Christoph Waltz uh, performance. Uh, surrounded by a lot of lackluster actors who were probably like in Disney shows when they were children or something. Okay. <laughs> so watch The Consultant. Is that what you said? No. He says, no. Don't, don't watch don't. The Consultant. Don't, don't watch. Bother. Okay. I got you. Do not okay. bother. It's yeah, Oh, yeah. And Westworld. Westworld, same thing. It's a mystery that you unpack over the course of a season. The first season of Westworld, genius. They actually, I, in my head, there was only one season. They never did anything after that. Because that one season is just its own perfect little thing. This is barely an act one. This is so lazy, it's, it's, it's a little pain. So I'm comparing that a little bit to um, Severance, which yes. fits same, closer to the consultant in the description in that same they idea. didn't really pay off the, mysteria, the, the mysterious stuff. But okay, that's... I still think they actually have a plan, or at least they have answers, and they're going to give us some eventually, right? Like, we got some answers at the end of the first season, and then a lot more questions, and I'm still in for another season of Severance. Severance was I'm worried I'm going to get screwed. (laughs) (laughs) This is basically trying to do all of the exact, do and say all the exact same things as Severance, but Severance does all of them better. The two characters trapped in a nightmare job, the question of, you know, how much your job is worth, uh, how much, you know, like, like the reflection of that job on greater society, everything in that is in this just done dumber. Severance is a really smart show. And I think part of that smartness comes from their committing to their own concept and not chickening out and not wanting to say what it is you're watching. Definitely watch Severance, audience, by the way. It's, it's good. Anyway. Yeah. Unless you All right, have, what else you got? Unless you don't have Apple TV, in which case, suck it. I don't know if I... I mentioned I watched uh, uh, The King's Man like a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah. Ray Fiennes. Speaking, Ray speaking Fiennes. of Ray Fiennes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I want to if I I don't remember if I did or not so I want to recommend that movie I hate those Kingsman movies with an undying passion I hate the kick-ass movies this one movie does something just right it's it is a playful James Bond movie but it it does again take its own uh, uh, concept seriously and yeah it's funny to see Ray Fiennes now doing this kind of shit especially after watching uh, uh, strange days where he's much younger should have been much more capable of that and is so much more awkward <laughs> I mean wow his, you his and I have the exact opposite response to King's movies yeah. I think the first one is great I thought the King's man took all the fun out of it nah. yeah. totally I guess, the opposite reaction I'm, I'm in the, the middle it's like yeah it's a law of diminishing returns I was lukewarm to the first one and then the rest has just been a downward slide yeah I think, I, yeah, I think the first one was not fun. It was just a toil. The second one was like the first one, but more so. And this one has no connection to it whatsoever. This one is more about just 
yeah, the the founding of uh, MI6 more than you know anything else. It could it could have nothing to do with that that first Kingsman movie, except right. for you know those little those little touches, right. like yeah, the statesman in the United States and all that. The the way they take actual history and goof it is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I liked a lot of this, and I think it's because of that connection to history and the way they they fuck around with it like the complete randomness uh that went into the black hand assassinating Franz Ferdinand that's real you know the the amount of shit that went into killing Rasputin it's debatable but the story is that they tried to poison him they tried to shoot him they tried to stab him they did all this they threw him in a fucking ice river they right. use that yeah as a gag in here and i kind of like that hmm it fell flat for me I'm gonna be honest. Interesting. I just, yeah. I just uh, and then like the whole third act uh, climax where they got to scale the big giant uh, yeah. plateau where the little hutch is, and then I don't know. Yeah. It, it it reminded me too much of like the end of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It was just sort of I've been exactly. there, done that already, and I was just <laughs> tired. You know what I mean? I was just yeah. tired. Ugh. I don't. I I, I don't went in with high with expectations. You. I went in expecting. As much fun and and just bug fuck insanity that the first two movies were giving us, and this one was so much more up its own ass. It was, yeah, it was agreed. It, the thing that and, Eric liked is the thing I didn't like was we're gonna tie it all to history, and now Hitler's involved, and yeah. and it's like you know what, just just be the dumb Bond movie that nobody else is making. That's yeah. what I want. I want the Nobody. dumb Bond movie that Bond stopped making. <laughs> Nobody and, else is making dumb yeah. Bond movies. There's there's an absolute glut of of brainless spy movies. So now we need another one. Come on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bah, bah. I think that's you're right. It's like what I like about this is exactly what you don't like about this, which is <laughs> I'm I mean, like I think everything Matthew Vaughn makes would be inferior as toilet paper. It's just, I I fucking despise (laughs) everything he touches. This one almost seemed like an accident. And I think it's that way because (laughs) they decided to, I don't know, cleverly tie it into the First World War. Uh, The bit where his son gets killed, I thought, yeah, that will bug people who came to see, you know, in like Flynn. But fuck it. I like this. Yeah. I mean, the son was so obviously dead from like, you're frame one anyway <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway so yeah i that's my christoph waltz uh ray fines tie-in okay. all right nice um i can go uh so speaking of apple tv uh first of all i can't wait for they're doing a season two of schmigadoon and they're doing schmicago uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not yet with is it choreographed by bob schmossy I, I we'll cast? see, but yeah, same cast, same cast all around. So yeah, it's, so, it's so gonna be fun. So they're just doing like a miracle workers thing where every season yeah. is just a different well, thing, except that it's a continuation of the story of the same characters. Okay, which miracle workers is just each season is like an anthology season, right. but this. Right. But they're definitely, but but it's funny because the characters know they're in a musical, and at one point in the trailer, Keegan Michael Key is like, "Wait a minute, these." these musicals don't end well. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, oh no. Ended the whole thing with Shmini Todd and then they they end up as meat pies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could happen. Anyway, um, but that's not what I'm watching. Schmarlight Express. (laughs) What I am watching is, and I don't know if you've even seen any any ads for this, guys, but have you heard of Hello Tomorrow? No. No? Okay. So I'm going to encourage you to just go find a trailer for Hello Tomorrow on YouTube to get a sense of it. But it is this retro future thing. So it's basically set in the the world of tomorrow that the original Tomorrowland predicted, which is this very 50s, early 60s aesthetic, except that the cars float like they're land speeders. And the characters are selling real estate on the moon and there are retro futuristic robots so there's Ooh. all of this production design around like this 50s robot future and that's the world this takes place in 
Uh, but it's really the story of Billy. Oh God, how do I pronounce Crudup? Crudu? Yes, Doctor the guy who played Doctor Billy Crudup. Crudup. Billy Crudup. He's he's uh, a golden is, god, by the way. He's a golden god. There's an almost famous. He's he's one of the um he's one of the salespeople who are selling these this real estate on the moon, and so is Hank Azaria and a bunch of other people who are really good who I whose names I didn't write down and can't remember. Um. But uh, it's it's a, it's interesting because it there's a real sense that these salespeople are absolutely ripping people off, and there is no real estate on the moon, and it's all just a, a total scam. And it's almost like the show itself is doing the same thing that its characters do. Your the trailers are this retro futurism thing that gets you in to this small little drama about these salespeople. It's a show that hooks you in with all this flash and promise of something spectacular and it's something else entirely and it's something smaller and different yeah. and so it's about that and it is that and it's it's really well made and we're we're maybe two-thirds of the way through it and i'm i'm really enjoying it don't quite know where we're gonna land uh but hello tomorrow gets a recommend from me i'm looking okay. at the preview right now and i'm like god this looks like uh everything before the nuclear war in the game fallout <laughs> yes that's it, that it, future it's uh mid-century future i guess you would call it yeah but yeah, yeah i could see at the same time how this is also the movie uh uh tin men the the, the <laughs> yeah, guys yeah. who sell tin siding in in oh, buffalo new york all i think is like if you do it as a musical just aims in space <laughs> so billy crudup is he, you know he's his character is always selling Right. And and he's just doing so much work with like what he's saying versus what's behind his eyes and and the facade. And you can see that his character is erecting a facade. His 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 acting is very nuanced and multilayered and it's a lot of fun to watch. Um, so that's oh, fun. Credit. I always get uh, Billy Crudup confused with Jim Caviezel at first. Because I, like, I hear Billy Crudup, I'm like, is he the one that played Jesus and then like lost his mind and thought he was Jesus? No, that's Kavizel. Never. <laughs> Crudup was Doctor Alice- Manhattan in the yeah, Watchmen yeah. movie. Yeah, I know. I know. And Allison Pill. Allison Pill's in. Yeah. She, you've got anytime you do mid-century, you got to get Allison Pill. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's she's a lot of fun. That's what I hear. Um, anyway, he, at Claire Danes uh, broke up his marriage. I only heard that recently. Really? How dare she? Yeah. I mean, come on. She's the only good part about uh, Terminator 3, right? Are <laughs> you kidding? The, the fact that the missiles get launched in the end Bat. is the best part of Terminator 3. Yeah, yeah but you gotta, wait, you, gotta watch, you gotta watch the whole fucking thing to get to that point, though. It's just pointless. <laughs> uh, I liked that one. That's yeah. the only Terminator yeah. movie I liked. Oh, as, shut as up. As Terminator sequels go, Terminator 3 is holding up a lot better than the others. Any yes. Other, uh, yes. All right. All right. All right. Um, so, so also in the realm of uh, things that take place in a heightened past, I sat through all of Babylon. Oh, oh. sorry. Yeah, this, that I seems mean, like it's a on better man than I could get in. Yeah, I, that I, seems I, like I, a slog. Leaving. Wow. I don't know. If, yeah, I didn't even bother. I'm like, I just, I know going in that I'm gonna just be annoyed, so I'm not even gonna try. That's I was feeling. watching that the whole time, going, "Okay, it's ugly, and it's it's a uh, grueling, uh, but at least I already get it." You know, it's like there's <laughs> there's nothing original, and it's done. You know, like crap. So this this movie is 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 too much of everything. It it literally babbles on, uh, but <laughs> it um in the first in the first five minutes. An elephant takes a shit directly into your eyes, the audience's eyes, it, you know, because you are first person to one of the characters who just gets a huge elephant dump taken on it. It works and on so if, many levels. It it it's the movie telling you if if you're like if that's too much, if that's too extra for you, like turn the movie off. This is three hours of this, and we're going to shit in your face, okay? <laughs> and. I mean, it's it's got all the cocaine and and all the boobies and all of the hedonism and the 
yeah, opium dens and the gangsters and the freaks and the scum does, and does uh, Fatty Arbuckle show up and, at all? Ugh, not not like Fatty Arbuckle, a, but there's, a Fatty Arbuckle shows up. The, well, okay. so there's an amazing turn. Uh, it's a cameo, really, of um, um, Toby McGuire shows up as just deliberately like the most off-putting person he can possibly come off as. He's just the pastiest, <laughs> slimiest, <laughs> like most perverse, fucked up gangster guy. And, and he's just loving being hateable um, and making you want to hurl. Um, in is, the uh, end, Babylon is a three-hour dramatic telling of Singing in the Rain. Oh, that and, sounds terrible. That sounds and, absolutely terrible. Oh, oh it Brad, gets worse. It gets worse. It it's, does get worse. It does get worse because they, they lampshade it. They tell you straight up because these characters at the end are actually watching the movie Singing in the Rain. <laughs> and, Fuck you. Fuck and you. getting upset at how sanitized that is. Like, they told our story, but they told it in this smiley bubblegum way. <sighs> and yeah. Uh, yeah. They, Good they could have how- made a film called We're Pissing in Your Face. And then pissed in your face. And then tell you, you know how you wanted to see a movie called Pissed in Your Face? Well, we pissed in yeah. your face. This is what you wanted, stupid. Yeah. Well, sure, but uh, how's, how's Ray Fiennes in this one? That's the big question. <laughs> <laughs> Brad Pitt's in it, and he, he continues to be great. Margot Robbie's in it. She continu- Margot Robbie does great. Like Everybody brings their A-game. I can't remember the name of the guy who plays this character who is from Mexico and then gets himself to be a director and starts claiming he's from Spain. Uh, but he's he's fantastic. I mean, everybody put an awful lot of effort into making this, and they Just knew what they were making. Yeah. And like this is one of the reviews says that they think that this is Damon Chazelle following uh, following up La La Land with an attempt to to assassinate his own career. Like he <laughs> wants people to hate this movie yeah. so much that they won't hire him after this. I don't know. I mean, I, um, it's it's bold. why you Here's- don't. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it? it's bold choices. That's, that's the thing. Is you got to give him that. They are bold choices. And he is trying to make his La Dolce Vita, but yeah. he doesn't actually have anything to bring to it, and that's what makes it so ugly. It's, well, like, it's like, I watched yeah. the first 10 minutes, and I said, this is somebody who understands Baz Luhrmann, but doesn't have the soul of Baz Luhrmann. And he's trying no, to yeah. recreate it. But he's trying to recreate it as a shitting coke snorting orgy. Yeah. Well, it strikes yeah, me as oh, it's uh it. like if you if you have a big breakout hit like La La Land, like Oscar bait the whole nine yards and then yeah. your next movie is basically you trying to get your passion project made, it's like that is never ever a good idea and it never ever works. It's like don't give a filmmaker their passion project for their second outing. It just isn't yeah. going to happen. That's what I that's the vibe I get off of this thing. I <sighs> mean he he made the movie he wanted to make, right? And he's, you know, he's making the case that this this was this unique moment in time when Hollywood was the way it was before the talkies and before the studio system, and that this was kind of this this moment. And he's trying to capture it in all of its warts and all, right? And I mean, but, I'm but watching with- that crazy party orgy scene, and all I'm thinking is, this movie was made. After COVID, how did they make this the the scene after COVID? Because it's just this incredibly crowded pack of sweaty, naked people and animals and just stuff. And okay, I guess yeah. we made that after it, COVID. The problem is, yeah, it's like I everything he's you know says about why with his passion project that's fine, but doesn't have the experience or wisdom to make something that would connect with anybody. I think maybe that's part of the problem. He needed to to do like five or six more films before he had the, yeah, uh, mm. you know, the experience yeah. to be able to yeah. know whether or not this is going to work because it fucking well, problem. Well, the problem is that it, it w- tanked, and now it's like studios are basically doing the whole thing. It's like, well, we can't do anything original because nobody wants to go see it. It's like, well, no, put out something that's good. Yeah, it's well, like exactly. fuck Babylon and. 
and Amsterdam came out about the same time and both right. had like a cast of thousands of stars <laughs> right. and more or less the same poster and nobody knew what either one was supposed to yeah, be yeah. and they all got bad reviews. I think they got confused with each other. It is, I'll, I'll say this, watching Brad Pitt playing an, uh, a Hollywood, you know, hunk who is, is past his prime and realizing he's past his prime and that he's over is a really interesting <laughs> uh, I, I agree. character to, to watch play out over the, the movie. I had the, same, I had the same feeling. This is like new ground for him, at least. Interesting. Yeah, well, well by the end, I mean, I, spoilers for the movie you're not going to watch. You, know, you, you watch him get all the way to the point of killing himself because he knows it's over. <laughs> does, and, an, does an elephant shit in his mouth? Please tell me that happens. Uh, no, but they foreground this. I mean, they, they foreground <laughs> the shot where he kills himself. He goes into his hotel room and the door doesn't quite all the way shut. And we stand in the hallway looking through the crack in the door. And the bathroom is like pure white and everything else isn't. And he's pacing back and forth. And I'm just waiting, like waiting for the shot to end. I'm like, let's hear the gunshot and see the blood splatter all over the white. Yeah. Waiting, yeah. waiting. That's up. Oh, there it is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's so. another. Th- and yeah. It's like the, the everything up to that point with Brad Pitt was interesting watching him realize he's done. But, you know, like when he's on his last movie set right. and he's looking around at everybody on the last movie set and he's realizing nobody cares about him. Like yeah. it's like that all works. When he actually kills himself, it's done in such a romantic Wait. kind of that's exactly the way I want to kill myself kind of way that I was how like did, how okay. much of this movie did you watch? <laughs> I kept I kept leaving and coming back. I oh, watched okay. it, I watched it from beginning to end, but I had to take breaks and like okay. I was not okay. willing to stop it. I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'll figure it <laughs> out. If I, there, if there's I an hour and forty five minutes on Wikipedia, you know, yeah. There's an hour and 45 minute version of this movie that might work a lot better. Like this needs an editor in the, was, the worst way. I was thinking how great it would be if uh, 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 Jack Conrad, the you know Brad Pitt character, if instead of ha- do- doing that, he hangs himself and they show him hanging himself and they show him going, oh, this kind of sucks. And then him pooing himself and then laughing and going, wait a minute. That's right. Suicide is kind of. Not pretty, and then he dies. Instead of this very romantic, I disappear into the bathroom and you see blood go splatter on a wall. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what? If we're going to make an ugly movie, let's go for an ugly movie. Let's not make suicide the pretty part of this ugly movie. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> there, there's plenty of ugly in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it, it is the movie that they wanted to make, and they damn sure made it, but I'm... Should anybody sit through for three hours? Eh, maybe do like Eric did and like wander in and out yeah. and do your taxes or something <laughs> in the background. I don't know. <laughs> or just watch something anyway, else entirely. Chris, Chris, what did you watch that was something else entirely? Uh, well, uh, I almost wasn't going to bring it, but since Eric brought up Ray Fiennes, and uh, that seems to be the flow through, uh, one of the movies that he made a few years after Strange Days was The Avengers. Not Marvel's The <laughs> Avengers, but oh. BBC. <laughs> So, uh, they, well, I didn't watch that, but I did watch, uh, oh. <laughs> I did watch the original series that's on Amazon, but oh, not dear. just the original series, the 1966 season where it actually started in color and it's the classic Without lineup. Diana Rigg? No, it's the classic lineup with Emma Peel, Diana Rigg and John Steed. Uh, but it's in color. And so it's like the, the weird year where they started doing all these like weird, uh, like storylines and it's like you remember like when wild wild west went to color and mm-hmm. then suddenly they went to all these really fantastical uh stories that were very very sci-fi influenced and it just made literally no sense for the time frame it was in this is like the mod 60s version of that where they just abandoned any sort of pretense that it was sort of like a detective team working for the government and they just follow these crazy plot lines uh, because it's in color. And then they yeah. <laughs> were bought by ABC, so it was on American TV. And so they were doing storylines that made fun of, like, uh, Batman and Man from say. Uncle and shit like that that was already on American I, TV. Does, like, a, a, a band of shaggy hippies, like, show up and play a musical number in any of these episodes? <laughs> no, but it's similar to the Star Trek vibe. It's just obviously okay. done on, on fact- sets. 
you know, soundstage and whatnot. The fact that she looks like Catwoman doesn't help. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, uh, that, the fact that she looks like Catwoman always helps, Eric. But here's, <laughs> but here's <laughs> the thing is... You get away from Batman. Fair, is what I'm fair. But here's the thing is you... Everybody seems to remember her in that, like, leather cat suit that Uma Thurma wore in the movie version, but in the series... Like, Diana Rigg yeah. hated that thing. And so they actually tailored a wardrobe to her that was a little looser fitting and, you know, more comfortable. She was still wearing like the speed suit jumpers with like the, like the, the two tone, like purple with the blue piping or whatever. That's like a go-to. And so she's always parading around in that and doing like goofy Kung Fu moves and stuff. Uh, but she's very sassy and smart and is a good foil yeah. for John Steed. Who's like the classic English gentleman, et cetera, et cetera. But the storylines in this season are just fucking weird. It like, like they always started as like some sort of sci-fi thing, uh, and then they debunk it by the end. It's like, well, it's not really this. Uh, like one is this like weird light that follows around this uh, people that are like astronomers looking at uh, Uranus. Haha, <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, and then they start dying off one by one because this big bright light thing just shows up and kills them. It looks like the ball from the prisoner, basically. And so it turns out that it's actually like an actual laser that's attached to this sports car, and these and like the bad guys just driving around killing off all of his uh, like rivals in this like astronomers club. And so it like debunks the the the, the sci-fi theme. And then they do one where it's like an invisible man is killing people, and it turns out it's not really an invisible man. Uh, it's just like fuck you. <laughs> they do one where it's like uh, like a like a, a winged Avenger that comes out of the comic books and like scales buildings and kills people. And it just turns out that it's like a guy that stole some anti-gravity boots from some crazy scientist. I mean, it's just like, none of it makes any sense, but it's all very technicolor and looks great. It's like that swing in sixties vibe. And it's just amazing to watch, but the stories are so dumb. It's just amazing. Yeah. I don't remember it being like that at all. It's almost a letdown if I'm being honest. <laughs> But if you want to, if you want an interesting, uh, I guess, I don't know, salve, it's either a salve or a salt for your wound. Go yeah. check out the comic books, Steed and Mrs. Peel, because okay. they are basically, yeah, it's like you get, you get an, you get Avengers stories. You don't, you're not limited by what the cast will and won't do or what the technology will or won't allow. And right. you get like a very goofy British <clears throat> spy series. Oh, it's, it's really weird mm -hmm. like the the last episode i watched uh like john oh, julian glover was the bad guy you remember him he was the the rich guy from indiana jones and the last crusade he was like the adat commander yeah in empire strikes mm -hmm. back you know so he was the bad guy but basically it was like they discover that there's a whole underground city that's been built in this mine like a mile under this estate by like russians i guess as a way to to avoid the nuclear fallout when they destroyed Britain. I mean, it's like, what? And it's like a whole city with like concrete buildings and the whole nine yards. It's just like, what am I watching? This is so ridiculous. So it's just goofy. But then I looked into it some more and saw some earlier episodes before I'm appeal. And I forgot that, uh, that pussy galore was Steed's partner before Diana Riggs. So you've got two bond women uh, who started on mm. the Avengers and then went left the show to do Bond movies and uh, and made their name there. It's just so weird. But uh, but I'd start with the Technicolor ones because the earlier episodes they film them on like videotape. It's like watching old Doctor Who. It's just it's so terrible to look at because it's so obviously like a video camera and they didn't give a shit about saving the episodes once they aired. Like so many of these things sure. are just lost in time. Yeah, yeah. It's just terrible. So start with the Diana Rigg years when they went to film and actually were on American TV and uh, you know cared about production. <laughs> so, Julian Glover, right. I swear, did a Bank of Arizona commercial. It was him. I remember possible. seeing it and going, "That motherfucker, that's him." And I've been trying to find proof of it ever since. Yeah, maybe someday they'll create a, a, a net that is interactive where I can like collate information and find mm. that, but. Uh, Oh, Patrick McDee. He was also a Bond girl that turned up in a Bond movie, isn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so lots of lots of tentacles. So it's just weird. 
Uh, but that that made me think of the really shitty Avengers movie that Ray Fiennes and Uma Therma did with Sean Connery uh, in like 1998 that just pissed all over <laughs> the Sean legacy. Sean Connery, also a Bond girl. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> Tentacles. All right. So that's literally so, it, but that's on Amazon Prime. Go check it out if you're really that bored. The Avengers. All right. And oh. then let's let's get on with the show. I keep hearing the John Lennon song Strange Days. I do right. not hear the Doors Strange Days. Yeah, I think they I'm do. supposed to hear the Doors. They do a, like an industrial goth metal cover at some point in one of those stupid stage shows in this movie. Uh, yeah. of the doors and it doesn't sound anything like it so I'm not surprised that you don't hear it. I think it it's prong yeah. that's doing that. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Um okay, why did you okay, pick this so movie? in our theme in our theme of ugly movies that are tough to watch, strange yes, days. Yes. Exactly. Strange days. Okay. Oh, so why did I why did I pick why this movie? Why did you pick this movie? All right. Why? Because I haven't watched it in forever and I'd forgotten uh, why I hadn't watched it I forever. Have, uh, I haven't so, seen it since the theater. Uh, I was yeah, one of the ten strange, people that went and days. saw it. Yeah, I went and saw it. Let, let's, talk about, let's just talk about what it is for a quick minute, right? Strange yeah. Days comes out in 1995. It's The story's by James Cameron. It's directed by his then-wife, Catherine Bigelow, who would go no, on to make... She was already an ex-wife uh, by then. FYI. No, was she? Okay, yeah. she made, like, uh, Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty and stuff like that. And... Yeah. Um, and yes, she made Point Break, but let's not go there. Uh, it, it stars Ralph Fiennes, Ray Fiennes as this guy. It's, it's set at the, at the cusp of the millennium. It's the New Year's 1999 to 2000. And, and in this near future, from our 1995 perspective, we have the technology to record people's experiences to Sony mini-discs. And so you put this thing on your head and you can record what it's like to be you, and then that gets sold on the black market for people who want vicarious experiences, and Ray Fiennes is a dealer of this um, yeah. this he's contraband. A, he's an ex-cop who got fired, and now this is yeah. how he makes his living. So he's yeah, he's an anti-hero. And he's questionable, but lovable. He's, he's our anti-hero, and there's a... Um, Angela Bassett plays a woman who is trying to save him, but he thinks he's trying to save the femme fatale who is played by Juliette Lewis, and she's this uh, rock singer who is everybody Basically, wants. Juliette apparently. Lewis working on her future stage presence in her band because she's yeah, doing she all actually the exact sings. same shit she does yeah. on stage now. Also, I might add, yeah, well, Juliette Lewis like naked for pretty much ninety five percent of her screen time. Yeah, and I want to I want to come back to that because I have weird. I have a an actual like justification for that other than yay. Um, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, the it gets dark and there's the dark and gritty industrial clubs <clears throat> and there's you know and then, all of this like you know fear of the future shit and then there's like this this rapper who gets killed Rodney King style and there's evidence of this in somebody's brain patterns and there's shit goes down. Yeah. A guy yeah. gets killed and one of the witnesses is wearing one of these memory recorders. Squid. That a squid. Tape, a squid tape. And that tape ends up being what the cops are chasing after. In a way it's like if uh somebody had found one of the cops had found out that the Rodney King tape was on its way to the, the 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 news outlet and all the cops were chasing down the person holding that tape. I think that's probably yeah. what the thinking was, because this whole thing is Rodney <clears throat> King. This whole thing yeah. is yeah. Here's what our future is if we allow this shit to continue. Yeah, and it's so, it's so, so it, it. But they said it in like 1999, which at the time was the future, the, the near future, and yeah. Like half of Los Angeles is just a burnout husk with trash fires and security checkpoints with cops with tanks, uh, etc. Uh, which was was jarring at the time. It's like you watched it in '95. You're like, whatever. But then you come into the post 9/11 world, and you're like, holy fuck! <laughs> Did they just oh, like oh. set the wayback machine a little too far ahead? It's like, come so on, man. That's that. Okay, so that is one of the things. I want to answer your question real quick though, which is. 
why did I pick it? Well, because, you know, because we were in our 20s in the mid-90s, and so I've got an affinity for that time. I've got nostalgia for that time. I like cyberpunky stuff, and I, I had vaguely remembered liking this yeah. at the time. And I'm okay. like, well, that sounds good in the same way that, like, I don't know, Johnny Mnemonic sounded good, right? It's, it's, Johnny it's, Mnemonic it's came out those. the same year, but like a month or two yeah. ahead of this one. And yeah. they're very similar. I will say I have a, I have a lot of notes on this, and half of them are good, half of them are bad. It's like this is a movie I really I don't know where I come down on this. It it's wasn't tough, right? fun to watch, but no. there's a lot of good stuff in here. Uh, the, the the thing the the first thing for off the bat, this was part of a production deal for two films that were shot at the same time. One of them was True Lies, yeah. and True Lies ate up most of the budget. So this thing was, you know, made on a shoestring comparatively, and it mm-hmm. is a film noir. Film noir is supposed to be made on the cheap. So I liked yeah. that it looks shitty. It is shitty, and <laughs> it is really a film noir. It is yeah. a guy uh, uh, trying to save himself and others, you know, their soul basically, uh, from a the world itself, which yeah. is imploding. <clears throat> yeah. And I, as about the imploding world, like Chris talked about the cops with tanks thing, they try to robocop it, right? Like they try and, and project that the future is going to be just absurdly shitty. Yeah. And it's people complaining that little kids are shooting each other and that gas is over $3 a gallon. And I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's so Harley <laughs> Davidson and the Marlboro man when they, when they clip those in, you know what I mean? It's they're, like, they're, gas is they're pretty accurate though. Yeah. Come on. They're pretty accurate on some of this shit. Uh, yeah, like, that's, it, that's it. I think they thought they were exaggerating, but no, yeah. they weren't dystopian enough. Well, like, the, I mean, it, the, idea of, of, the idea of cops with tanks itself is hilarious because there are like not even cities. There are small towns that have actual tanks. Yeah. Yeah. You can yeah. jump I mean, online it, right now and find <laughs> out like in your state how many towns have uh, you know, a fucking SWAT team capable of taking to crit. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not out of hand. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think part, to say that. Well, to to set the stage, I mean, this movie comes out and it fucking tanks. I mean, it made like eight million dollars total. I think still to this day, and it it almost derailed Catherine Bigelow's career permanently. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's like it's a script that's co-written by James Cameron and another screenwriter, Jay Cox, and it's got James Cameron's fingerprints all over it. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's astonishing. But then you crank it to 11 because you give it to Catherine Bigelow, who has a knack for making some of the grimmest, most uncomfortable movies. I don't know what her deal is, mm-hmm. but it's just, apart from Point Break, break which is just, uh, just breathless stupidity from start to finish, like Near Dark and Blue Steel that she made prior, those are grim movies. And it's just, this one, she has- it just cranks it to 11 and it's just uncomfortable to watch from start to finish because it's just grimy you know what i mean i think i think what that's one of the things i like about her approach is that like a lot of directors want that filth grime uh harshness but they're not willing to show it because they don't want to make an uncomfortable audience and Catherine right. bigelow is like no fuck you this is what you signed up for so this is yeah. what this looks like and i kind of so, like that and that's that goes back to my i my telegraphing why Juliet nudity? Uh, Lewis is so nude <laughs> in this movie. Right? <laughs> Juliet nudist. Juliet nudity. Freudian yeah, slip, no, perhaps. Basically, in every scene, she takes her shirt off and like rubs something on her boobs, right? Yeah. But um, but here's the thing, I think that that's all set up for where the movie really kicks you in the balls because they want you, the audience, to kind of be like you know male gazing a bit, yeah, yeah. especially at her. She's the eye candy, so that. When we get to about the halfway point, and there's this extended sequence where it's first person, you are you are watching somebody rape a woman. Yeah, you're the rapist. It's and tough. it's, it's tough. like I think I think that all of the titillation in front of that is <clears throat> is deliberate to make yeah. that scene that much harder to watch. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's that's sort of where it. it falls apart for me though because they're obviously trying to make the statement of like you want to be titillated you want to have these experiences you're a voyeur and this is what it's 
like to be this is the sin of voyeurism but it i don't think it quite clicks enough uh i think they just they take it a little too far to where it just circles back around to just pure voyeurism you know they try to make the statement and it just mm. doesn't work for me and that's kind of where it falls mm. apart i guess i could but, see both sides of that because like on one side yeah it's still a movie and it's treated like a movie Right. On the other side, I totally got that feeling of, you know, like you, you, you hear the news story about the famous actress whose phone got hacked and there's all sorts of pictures of her naked and you go, oh yeah, fuck yeah, let's see that. And then you think about, we have no privacy anymore. We are yeah. all mm-hmm. just potential targets. Yeah. And that's something this movie gets right too, is that no, you know, no one has any right to their own privacy anymore. Yeah. The thing well, opens all- with uh, a tape of a guy who died robbing a liquor store. Yeah, and mm-hmm. why are we watching it? Because the uh, EMT who brought the guy in saw he was wearing a squid and was like, "I could sell this shit." Yeah, yeah, but and but that, Ray that action deal. scene really sets it. Yeah, I want I wanted to say that 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 scene really sets the tone, and and it's clear like this is why Catherine Bigelow makes the movie she makes in the future, right? Like she's yeah. really selling this this intense action scene with the with the simulated single take first person and it's, it goes on and on and it's it's just in, it's really intense and and the other thing is that because it's an uninterrupted take quote unquote um it distinguishes itself from reality in in the movie so anytime we're doing these first person things um we're taken out of reality into almost a hyper reality where it's like, but it's you, yeah. right? I don't know. I I think I think it's effective in what it's trying to do. I'm just not sure that. Yeah, I'm not sure that a lot of people want to watch well, it. I think in 1995 it was probably a bit more jarring because if you look at the way stuff is mm-hmm. now, I mean, there's that what's that uh, Harry movie where it's all first person shooter, hardcore, Henry. hardcore Harry, Henry, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, like that. Nobody bats an eye when stuff like that gets made now, but in 1995, this sort of thing was still pretty new. They like, had it, to it develop. Was, yeah, they had to actually develop mm-hmm. a 35 millimeter camera that could be worn on a you know like on a steady cam that could be locked around a body, <clears> so <throat> that it was not just running around shooting that film, but yeah. like an actor could move like an actor, and you could see what they were seeing. Yeah. It's like now you could probably just do it taping a, an iPhone to somebody's head. And, oh, that's another thing I liked about this film, that, that you don't really know that you like it until you watch it now, is no digital, no effects, no CGI. Yes, yes. There's yeah. so much that could have and probably should have been CGI in this, but they didn't yeah. have the ability, so they didn't do it. And so doing it in camera, it really makes it more effective. Well, here's what I like, too, and this is sort of like any movie from this era, especially like 95, and we've, we've talked about other movies like Johnny Mnemonic and hackers and whatnot, where it's mm-hmm. where they they're envisioning a future tech that could or could not be real, uh, but just other elements around it sort of take you out of it. Like there's the rudimentary cell phones that they're using, but they're still pay phones, and like everything. But it's 1999. Yeah, it's, it's but that's it's what I'm, fine because it's set in 1999. Right, but I'm watching this going, okay, they're getting those kind of bits right. But then you think, okay, this is the cusp of uh, the year 2000, 1999. Where's the Y2K panic? They totally missed that. They missed the ball on the Y2K panic. And it just, you know, whatever. Uh, But they had, like, everything's on fire. It's literally like uh, after everybody rioted, after Rodney King, only just citywide. And it's just, you watch that and you're like, that, like, at the time, you're like, there's no way. But then you see, like, after all of the, like Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, all of those, it's like, yeah, that totally makes sense now. It's like they got that mm-hmm. right. They nailed it, but it was the, very uncomfortable in 1995. Yeah. I think, you know what, actually, I, I was reading, uh, in doing my research for this, somebody had a great point, which is, yes, they got all that right, except for the part where they, after their, the cops who did the murder are turned in, they are gunned down by other cops or right. even that the head of police yeah, yeah. gave a shit that his cops killed somebody. Whereas yeah. if those two cops had, if the one hadn't killed himself, if the other hadn't been gunned down by the other cops, they probably wouldn't have even done time. Yeah. 
even with a tape, even with a tape that right out and says, even going that extra mile of saying, you know, well, do you, can you prove that they did this? Can we prove it? Oh my God, look at this thing. Well, yeah. There are, there are tapes, there's cell phone footage of black men being murdered by police right and left. And the reaction is still, yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, and again, and that's kind of uh, where they hedge a little bit too. Like they wrap it up with this nice tidy, oh, we changed the world. Justice prevails. It's like, that's like for, for two hours and 15 minutes, the whole movie was just a big nihilistic fuck you. And then suddenly they turn around at the end and it's like, everybody's happy. It's like, that's, that yeah. irritated the fuck yeah. out of me uh, yeah. when I saw it. But my favorite part about watching this in the theater is that there were like maybe 10 or 15 people in the theater when I saw it. Cause the thing tanked, uh, made $8 million, but sat through that entire movie, two hours and 15 minutes. And then you get to the end with Vincent D'Onofrio and William Finkner as the two dirty cops who murdered the, the, the black, uh, like Malcolm X guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the cops shoot, like, I literally, like, at some, when that happened, somebody stood up in the back of the theater and just yelled at the top of their lungs with the most, uh, indignation I've ever heard. This is fucking bullshit. And they just stormed out. <laughs> I'm like, you waited two and a half hours yeah. to do that. Like, Cause you're upset which, that the cops are the bad guys. Okay. Yeah. Which part oh, is boy. the bullshit? Oh, is that the part that's the bullshit? Yeah, that's and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That the cops are the bad guys when in fact the cops are way more good guys in this than they deserve to be compared to reality. Yeah, that's well, what I'm saying. Is that like, yeah, the real ending of this movie should have been the police chief going, Well, thank you for this, and then yeah. throwing it in the river. Well, it's like they get yeah. to the, the end, and then like, uh, they're chasing Angela Bassett, and Vincent D'Onofrio's character is like shooting like everybody in her way. <laughs> Like, nobody's batting an eye. It's like they just totally scrubbed that to get to the end scene where they actually, you know, have the fight and whatnot. It's just, by the end, they just, I think, gave up on trying to make any sort of consistent statement. It's like, yeah, everything yeah. sucks. La la. Yeah. Well, and that's just that everything sucks. That was probably the thing that appealed to me at age 24 right. when this thing comes out, right? Like, they nail the, the mid-90s nihilism thing where we're all just like sick of everything and it's just how yeah. how how aggressive and how noisy and how how much can we just yeah, numb ourselves God. with noise and shit and like at one point a character is talking about the millennium and it's like you know why it's the end of the world it's because it's all been done everything's been tried every song's been sung every story's been told it's all and i'm like yeah that kind of captures how we felt in that moment of just Fuck it. Yeah. yeah. Can I explain you know? something to the millennial listener? Um, <laughs> there was a time in the 90s when we were kids where things were so good, where life in America was so wonderful, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we wanted things to be worse. And we didn't yeah. understand what worse <laughs> actually looked like. And yeah. so we ended up with movies like this where we had make-believe worse. And so we didn't understand that no 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 worse actually looks like this boy isn't racism bad yeah racism is so bad i want to put it in my entertainment that kind yeah. of shit <sighs> and that's this movie is like it typifies the problem <laughs> the reason we have problems now is that we did not understand at the time how we were making the world that bad yeah <laughs> it's true well it's we just, were glorifying it a yeah, little bit yeah, weren't we a lot yeah i mean it's just uh. It's sort of like, it's, it's funny that James Cameron didn't make this, even though he wrote the script, because it's like, he doesn't shit on institutions quite the same way in any of the movies that he directs. And so it's like, he just made this like shit sandwich thing and just passed, oh, here, Catherine, this is more your vibe. You totally run with it. I mean, it's like that sort of thing. But then they do like uh, the development. And uh, I think at one point, Andy Garcia was in line. Uh, to do yeah. the Ray Fiennes characters. Like, could you imagine this movie with Andy Garcia in that role? It would have been terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Can I, on the, along that lines, okay, uh, name, name a movie that does star Andy Garcia. Just, uh, just thanks thanks to doing Denver when you're dead. Yeah, can Godfather you imagine how three. awful that movie is that has Andy Garcia? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Name another one. It's yeah. like, The Untouchables. The Untouchables, yeah. <laughs> Can you uh, imagine how awful the the Untouchables would be if Andy yeah. Garcia was in it? Ugh. Yeah. So there's that, and then you, and then you have Angela Bassett, who I guess was uh, on board from the get go, and she does really well in this. It's like she's kind of a badass. I don't believe the relationship between her 
and Lenny one iota Not for a minute. So yep. that's a chink in the armor. And then you get Juliet Lewis as the femme fatale, and I could care less one way or the other. That's a disposable character. Uh, they just managed to find an actress who has a little bit of an edge and was willing to be naked for most of it, as far as I could tell. Uh, I, you know, I did not mind seeing her naked. I did not. I did not mind her <clears throat> covering PJ Harvey songs. Yeah, like she she slays um, the fucking music in this songs. thing. Though is ridiculous because it's like check out her band. Yeah. Because it's like 1999, where's like uh, NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and all that shit? It's like all this like goth industrial well, hardcore. <laughs> it's like, because that's the only music that exists in 1999, I guess. Yeah, it but was, I remember well, 90, also thinking mid-90s that we had somehow yeah. conquered pop music and wouldn't have to put up with that shit anymore. So. Yeah. I can see somebody I, making the same mistake. I, I made the statement that the two thousand in the last show, the two thousands come back and bring bring back something even yeah. more plastic and and fake than the eighties were. And I'm, da- I'm here for yeah. it. And they call it sexy. <laughs> they brought sexy back, and they it did. Yeah. I want it that way. Uh, yes. Did it? But it, does it bother you? Like they put Tom Sizemore in like the worst wig ever, like a surfer <laughs> dude long hair wig, which turns out to be a squid. And then, like, they have the big uh, reveal at the end where he's the guy that's been killing everybody. Spoiler. Uh, like, it totally... What? The Tom Sizemore character's yeah. got, got a dark side to it? It's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. I mean, it's just... From the second he was on and, sh- screen, yeah. yeah. And speaking of Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man, holy shit, there's your tie-in right there. Uh, yeah. And then, and then the other thing that I read, because Michael Wincott shows up as Philo Gant, who's, like, the, the big promoter manager guy. Love any time he shows up in a movie. Love him yeah. to death. He should I mean, be he, in everything. <laughs> he should be in everything that they gave to Andy Garcia for fuck's yeah, sake. Really go. But by this time, he'd already done like uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and The Crow, and other uh, associated uh, semi classics. Yeah, yeah. But say what you're about to say. But the fact is... that they were going to try to cast Bono in the role of Philo <laughs> Grant, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> It's like that just would have been a whole extra skeeve level. You know what I mean? Oh my god. Oh, so dumb. So dumb. I wonder if we could have gotten like Zoo TV era Bono with the Mephisto makeup. To, I, okay. You know, like, I mean, it had just been him like, Am I, am I booging you? I don't mean to boog ya. Fucking boog ya. <laughs> oh god. So I read that and that just made my day. <laughs> like, yes, please. More of that. Uh, but yeah, so they go I through all of the, that and yeah, wow. Yeah. So you go through all of this and it's, it ends up being, this is like the grimmest of Catherine Bigelow's films. As far as I'm concerned, it's just, I don't really? think I'll ever Zero watch Dark 30, the Hurt Locker. It, yeah. I mean, it is literally oh. because, uh, okay. Cause those still try to be, uh, heroic about stuff that's going on. But this one is just straight up. Like we're going to be, we're, you're a voyeur, and that's all you're going to be, and now you're uh, linked to all of this bullshit because yeah. you're a voyeur. I mean, it's like, it's just grimy, it's gross, it's dirty, it makes me uncomfortable, and I yeah. just, I don't like it. It's just, ugh. So it's a movie about the internet. It's, yeah, it presages yeah. the internet. It presages mostly reality. I, like, cops had been around for like six years by this time, but we really hadn't had the YouTube TikTok bullshit. So, so this is yeah. our thesis statement. In 1995, James Cameron writes a story and Catherine Bigelow directs a movie that projects the grimmest, shittiest possible future, future and yeah. they just weren't cynical enough. Exactly. Because reality in 2023 is yes. worse. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, yep. it fucking is. Yeah. Yep. And, so. and yet we have the balls to like uh, 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 lead in on... The, the kids of today for their avocado toast. It's like, no, no, no. We shit out a horrible world, and then we made babies. Yeah. This is all our fault. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Would I watch it again? Probably not. That's just me. Yeah, I'm good. So, you know, watch <laughs> yeah. it at your own peril. Uh, it got some stuff right. Uh, other stuff, it just did not. Yeah. So It's, it's uh, more interesting than it is entertaining Maybe what you want to do is go on YouTube and find somebody's review of it because yeah, they will walk you, walk you through it quickly and they'll make it sound much smarter than it actually is. Cause the other mm-hmm. problem is it's it, it, everyone sounds like a fifth grader the way they speak. That's because they wrote a 90 page treatment, not a screenplay, a fucking treatment that was 90 mm. pages long. And somebody said, 
you're on drugs. And so they hired a screenwriter <laughs> to condense it into an actual movie. That's the one screenwriter's name you saw. Yeah. He did that and they said, this is great. The structure works perfectly. And James Cameron said, now I'm going to do a pass on the dialogue. And yeah. that's why everybody sounds like a dumb dumb. Wah, wah. So speaking yeah. of things that are more interesting than entertaining, let's talk about the magnificently huge podcast Wait, which you're we? listening to right now. <clears throat> if you like the show, subscribe to it. Share it on your social media feeds with your friends. And then reach out to us. You can go to our website, maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. There you find links to our social media, you know, our Twitter, our Instagram, our Facebook, and all that stuff. Or you can email us, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. And we'll join you next week where the future will be even worse than you've imagined. Hey, 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 have you ever jacked off? In, in, have you ever jacked in? Every time he said that, I went, yeah, what? I hate this movie. I hate this so much. (laughs)